Welcome to episode 119. All right, guys, so we're here with another great episode. Um, you know, it seems like I repeat myself every week because I'm always trying to find the next, you know, extraordinary guest and... Um, you know, this person I found, I don't know if she was new to the the site, but I as soon as I saw her, I read her story, I was immediately hooked and wanted to tell her story because, as I said on a previous podcast, and the parents don't get enough credit, and she is an extraordinary parent who, you know, from, from what I read, she's a great mom and uh, has a lot of challenges, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into that, so... Uh, Welcome our next guest. You want to tell us your name and, you know, like where you're from and a little about you? I am Lois Letchford. I, uh, I, I've written a book and the book is reversed a memoir which tells my story. Where I'm from, well, that's a fascinating question. As you can tell, I'm not native from America. Right. I'm an Australian, but we have lived on various continents. We've lived in Australia, we lived in the UK and Currently, I live in upstate New York in near the capital, Albany, in a little town called Troy. You know, it's funny that you say that because I did think I remember saying that, to, reading that about you, or that you were somewhere in the New York area, because usually, because yeah. I knew you were Australian, and I didn't ask yeah. you what time zone you were in, and, and we're doing this now, and it's like, <laughs> if it was in Australia, this probably be nighttime, and you probably wouldn't be able to do it, so uh, it's funny that you just said that, because it, it just threw me off. I'm like, oh crap, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> we do forget. I'm getting very good at what time zone are you in? How how far are you from Poughkeepsie, New York? Ah, uh, about an hour. Okay, my dad, you know, my dad uh, lives down there, so I've been really? to upstate New York. Yeah, it's an, I love oh. upstate New York because it's to me it's way better than the city. It, it's just a beautiful area uh, and just a nice yeah. place to live. Uh, anyway, I, so yeah, go ahead. yeah, I went out today and just drove back. And the contrast here between summer and winter is unbelievable. And you just look out and it's just a mass of green trees. Right. I mean, <laughs> and it's just beautiful. It is magnificent. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is a really nice place. Um, mm. So where do you want to start? I mean, like I said, you wrote a book, but that's kind of the aftermath. Um uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, I guess we should start with your, your kids. I, well, I have three sons. Well, it even starts a little bit before that, I suppose. Okay, yeah, you start. Uh, because I, um, I went to school in southeast Queensland, Australia, and I, in the 1960s and 70s, and I grew up reading words, but without comprehension. And I knew I couldn't comprehend because we did these reading passages, and I got every single one wrong. And whenever I read a book, it was like wading through mud. So much work to create this stick figure in my mind. I, but I still managed with that and some really good schooling to get myself to college and become a physical education teacher. And my reading got better. And then I married. I married this wonderful man who um, was in absolute opposite to me in ways who's brilliant and he's got his PhD from Oxford and we met and married and had these three children. So you got quite a combination. The eldest son thinks and talks at the speed of light and the second boy came along and he had ear infections from the age of 8 to 18 months and what I didn't know was how that impacts the brain, how that impacts learning and, and speech and the impacts are lifelong. So that was the start of the story when my second son, Nicholas, went to school in 1994 and he knew there was a problem. He knew he couldn't understand his teachers. And then he wet his pants, he bit his fingernails and what I didn't know was that his teacher shouted at him every single day and I sent him to school every right. single day. 
and that you know I can take a breath now because you know it's more than 25 years past but that year it is really worth examining you know so many things about why did the school allow this child to fail why didn't someone say to me do something get this kid out of here why did he why did we let him fail throughout that whole year the the teacher said to me he stares into space i can't do a thing he stares into space and when you get those sort of um, thoughts it's the child's fault and you look at why they allowed him to fail because he has a low iq he doesn't know anything and that is absolutely devastating was there any him, was it, sorry yeah? was there any differences um, I mean you, you've been to a lot of places was there any differences in the places that you've been um, as far as how people with disabilities and, and you know like your son how they they're treated and, and you know taken care of and diagnosed and all that uh, oh that's a good uh, you know the answer I think is no there's not really many differences because you all end up with a label and we all end up in the same basket. Right. Uh, the, the, the challenge is how do we get out of that basket or if we get out. And that's what drove me because my son and my story really is a case study. And, you know, here I am now, you know, looking back on what worked and what didn't work. And my son only learned to read because our family was privileged. And that still causes me a problem to say that today. Wow. And if we were not so privileged, if I had stayed in that school with the teachers and trusted the school, the school would have turned around and said to me, he can't learn because he's not smart and you are just not getting that. Yeah. And because I, you know, we had this extraordinary experience and I was able to teach him for six months. I found out that my son had anything but a low IQ. He didn't have to say much. But I needed that input to come back to the school to really push him forward. But if we had never left Brisbane, Australia, I, I cannot imagine what would have happened to my son. Wow, yeah. So that's, that's really, you know, that's, and that's the crux of the story and that's what drives me today. That's part of the component that gives me a fire in my belly. And their school has all the documentation to back them up. Right. What do I have? Anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal evidence doesn't measure up right. to the test we did on a piece of paper. Well, and you got to feel more helpless than anything because it's not your body that you have to worry about. It's someone else's and, you know, obviously it's your baby, it's your child and it's not as simple as just, you know, oh, something hurts and I tell the doctor, like, it's someone else. So you don't really know everything and all the ins and the outs and, you know, it's something you just have to constantly be aware of and, you know, I'm sure it's kind of nerve-wracking too. Oh, horrendous. And the poor little boy would not have had the words or the language to say, Mummy, I'm hurting. Mummy, the teacher shouts at me. I can't do the work. And that's, I think, that really compounds the problem because we don't give them the language. You don't expect that to happen. You you know, all of this. You know, because it's only recently, you know, that I've recognised the depth of the struggle my son had in first grade. Okay, do you want me to take you through the whole story? It, briefly. Yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Nicholas graduated with his PhD in applied mathematics from Oxford University in 2018, you know, which is a long way from a child with a low IQ. And after he'd finished his PhD, and I thought, now I can talk to him. Now I'll be able to say what happened. What happened in first grade? And I asked him, and my son cried. Nor, you know, he's this articulate boy now. He's confident. He can talk about so many things. 
but to talk about first grade, he cried and not one word escaped from his mouth. And that's when I started to recognise the trauma that he had been through in grade one that has not been dealt with since. And that was eye-opening to me. And then he, and more recently, I said, I wish you, I'd taken you out of school in first grade. And he said to me, I wish you had done it too. But for me to do that, I needed more input. I needed so much more than I could have done in that when he was in grade one. I couldn't take him out so easily because I had a younger brother and the younger brother was only two. And having Nicholas, trying to teach Nicholas with someone in the background, Nicholas wouldn't have done a thing. And that would have been a problem too. And then school, if I'd taken him out, the school would have said to me, well, you know, he's not learning because you haven't been able to do it. So, you know, it's quite a combination of factors that tied into that year. But, oh, in hindsight, I wish I had removed something. I wish I'd removed him from school instantly. And what I'm learning about the brain is because of my son and all of this, I've been doing a series, a YouTube live series, called When Learning is Trauma. And the brain actually doesn't distinguish whether it's physical pain, emotional pain or whatever. It just knows it's pain. It just knows it hurts. Right. And when they're so young like that too, like you don't really, I mean, you don't know how much damage can be done to someone because, you know, they're not all there, you know, they, they're they not old enough to function entirely. Their brain is still, you know, growing and whatever and developing and so on. So you don't really know how much they pick up on. And then, you know, years later and it's like, yeah, like some, you know, cause I had my problems in in middle school as well. Uh, I told the story where um, a teacher wouldn't let me go to the bathroom and I went on myself and they made me sit in it. And this happened multiple times. My mom fought it and fought it. And then they kind of tried to cover it up and all that. And, but it's like, you know, as a kid, I, I don't, it doesn't affect me now, but it did affect me then. Uh, yes. I was super shy and yes. scared of everything. And, you know, yes. at, at that age, when you're young, you know, your parents tell you that the adults, what they say goes and it matters. And you find yes. out when you get older, that's not the case. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it leaves a mark. Mm-hmm. A mark that should not have been left if we had one ounce of compassion in it. Right, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so that's the story in a nutshell. <laughs> right. <laughs> With the emotional pain. Um, you want to know some more? Do you want to know what turned it around? Yes, please. Tell us. Tell me whatever you want to tell me, please. <laughs> okay, then, then, okay, and that was in 1994. In 1995, my husband had study leave, and he had study leave back in Oxford, UK. And so we all go. And I thought, I'm going to take Nicholas on myself. So I did. And I, I go prepared. I take a series of books called Success for All, Teaching Decoding, because that's what you have to do, isn't it? You children have to learn to decode. Yes. And there were words on lines, just the words, no pictures, no sentences, until you got to the end of the page. And he couldn't do it. He had no memory for, for letters, for sounds, or for words. It appeared no memory at all, mm-hmm. and I was starting to get cranky with him, and again blaming him. The first thing we do is blame the child. And my mother-in-law was living with us and staying with us at the time, and she said, "Lois, put away what's not working, and make learning fun." Right. And with that, I stopped doing it straight away. And I thought, "What can he do? What? How am I going to deal with this now?" And I thought he can rhyme words and he can see patterns. That's where I started. So I wrote a little poem for him. And the next day I had this little poem on the table ready to go. And I read it to him and there was a total transformation in our classroom. He's not stressed. No one's asking him to do anything. I'm doing the reading. He's joining in with me. We find the rhyming words. Then we do a picture. And so that was one success. And once you had a success, you, you repeat it, don't you? It's a gut instinct. Go with what's succeeding. And, he, and it was fantastic. And then you write enough and write enough 
I came up with the double O word because we're moving along, as in Cook, Look and Book. And I wrote this poem about Captain Cook, the last of the great explorers. And it was Captain Cook had a notion there's a gap in the map of the great big ocean. He took a look without the help of any book, hoping to find a quiet little nook. And as we're doing this and saying this poem, we found a map of the world printed in about 1500. And I said to Nicholas, look, there's a gap in the map. There's no Australia. That's when the poem made sense to him. And then from there on, Nicholas was really hooked. He was hooked with the first lot of poems. But once we got into Captain Cook, our world just changed. And Nicholas said to me one day, who came before Captain Cook? And I said, oh, that's easy. That's Christopher Columbus. And then he said, and who came before Columbus? And I went, this child's supposed to have to, a, a low IQ. Yeah. <laughs> He's challenging you now. A low IQ. Yeah, that's right. And, and I did not know who came before Columbus. In fact, I had never even thought about it. You know, who came before Columbus? I mean, and that, that's what stuck with me. And that told me this child does not have a low IQ. That was the key. And so, and believe it or not, we're in the city of Oxford. And we found out it was Ptolemy who came before Columbus. Well, it wasn't actually Ptolemy, but it was Ptolemy's map printed in or drawn in 250 AD that was Columbus's map of the world. And we, Nicholas says, can we find this map? So we go to the Bodleian Library, which is the biggest library in Oxford, and say, where would we find a Ptolemy map? We're at the gift counter of the Bodleian Library and the lady turns around, picks up a book, plops it on the desk and says, this is the latest book of Ptolemy maps. It'll be five pound, please. And so Nicholas drooled over these maps that were printed originally in 250 AD. And from that, mapping just became central to his life. Because we were visiting a new country and a new city and all the rest of it, we're seeing so many things. And Oxford at the time, was, there were many map shops and maps were everywhere. And we just explored maps. I wrote about it. I wrote about all the things that we were seeing. And Nicholas just became this sponge for learning. It was just astonishing to watch him grow and I met one lady who spoke to me and she gave me a book that helped me with decoding so his decoding went along slowly 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 but his ideas and his thinking just exploded it was just such a phenomenal experience to see him come to love learning what is so his much. official diagnosis uh, the official diagnosis takes another six or seven years to come. Oh, okay, gotcha. And Sorry. It's, yeah, it, the official diagnosis would be today developmental language delay or developmental language disorder or a speech-language impairment. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And, yeah, and that's, you know, that explains why he had so much trouble in first grade that when people talk to him, particularly if there's a lot of background noise. He won't hear it. He won't comprehend it. He certainly takes longer to to uh, process what people say. Right, because there's a, there's another like proponent to like hearing. Because I think people just think like, oh, if you have good hearing, you can pick up on anything. But it's like if you're like sometimes I have trouble focusing, and if you can't yeah. focus properly, it doesn't matter how many words are going into your ears, you may not hear it. Um, and yeah, so like I said, some people really just think, oh, you can hear. Like, you have no problem, you yeah. hear no damage. It's like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Like the brain and every, all that stuff is so attached that um, one little and thing being off. Yeah. Yeah, and interconnected. That's right. And that's why the poetry and the repetition is so good. Because if you miss it the first time, it's no big deal because you're going to get it the next time or the next and the next and the next. And you develop a depth of comprehension that you don't get by reading something once. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like watching a movie. Like, you can watch a movie a hundred times, but you might always pick up on one little piece that you didn't notice. Or an actor you didn't know was in it or or something. Yeah. Pick up on one thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's what it was like. And that time in our lives really transformed my opinion of Nicholas, of how we teach, of the foundations of reading and writing. It just everything just changed. And because of that, I became a reading specialist. There were a few other things on top. But really this time was just such a critical component because I knew if we were in Australia, Nicholas had two teachers. He had a classroom teacher. The classroom teachers were unbelievably fantastic. The reading teacher was very poor and rigid. Mm. And you can't teach a child who's as low as Nicholas with language through by being rigid right. and there's a significant problem with that and it goes back to mindset the right. child is dumb that's why he's not learning as opposed to what do I as a teacher have to do to teach this child to read yeah how do you accommodate him in a different way than you would in your average student um, yeah so he didn't go yeah. to any kind of specialized classes uh, well the reading teacher was teaching him one-to-one four days a week. Okay. Uh, and that went on for about four or five years. Okay. And uh, then, <laughs> you know, this is the story comes out in bits, which is why I wrote the whole book, Reverse the Memoir, because it was, um, it was piece by piece that just fell into place that really helped me. Because we, you know, we left England, I'm just over the moon with what Nicholas has learned. His being able to decode words is has improved. He can do it. He's slow at it, but he can do it. Right? And we go back to Australia. I see the lady who'd done the testing the year before, and I said to her, you know, I'm so pleased with what we've done. And she had been talking to the reading teacher, obviously, And she stood up, she put her hands on her hips and she said to me, well, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. Mm. You know, put that, say that to a parent. And and at this point in time, you're kind of on an all-time high because psychologically you're feeling good about his progress. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, we're doing great. And and he's, or she or he is like, you know, She. she... you know, uh, no, he's the worst I've ever seen, and everything you just said yeah. is the complete opposite. That's right. Slap you down, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how funny life can be. There's times where you're feeling at an all-time high, and you're as happy as it gets, and then one little thing, you fall or something. And Because um, I was going to ask you, you know, as, as a before she gave you that, before she said all that, like, I'm, I'm assuming you were starting to feel really good about everything and, and proud and, and that, you know, you're starting to get somewhere. In a way, you're kind of cracking some sort of code that he's, you know, you just got to give yeah. him repetition and continue to just, yeah. you know, in a way, weird way, beat it into his head and just continue to show it and he'll he'll catch on. It just takes him a little longer than the average person. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's got to feel good just, you know, be, obviously being his mom. That's right. That's exactly right, you know. I mean, there was always a, a niggling. There was always a worry. How much do I have to do? And I remember sitting on the bus with my husband one day. We we're traveling home. And I'm saying, I've just got to keep writing this for Nicholas and do this and do that and da-da-da-da-da because that's the worrying part that was there. And my husband said to me, Lois, you do have three sons. Right. You know, so there's, there's always the worrying, but you're right. There was an excitement that we're actually going somewhere. We can see a future, whereas before it was just a black tunnel. Was that a, was that a worry for you that you were giving attention to one son over the other two? Yeah. Right. And he, he, he consumed my life. Right. He really consumed everything I did because I'm writing these poems for him because I had, what else do you do? Right. Uh, and everywhere I had a piece of paper and just would write something down. And because I, if I had a thought, I had to write it down before I forgot it. You know, the way the words flow to get the rhymes in and, and all of that. So, yes, it did. It did consume me and it impacted my both sons, I think. Is that a conversation you had with them to like let them know like, hey, you know, your your brother needs me a little more and it's not because I love him more. It's just 
you know, because he no. needs it. No. Yeah, I, I didn't have that conversation then. Now my sons are, you know, the eldest is 35 and the middle guy is 33. I'm having it more with the older two now. Right. And the youngest one is still causing us more angst, more problems. So, right. And he, he most likely missed out. But, you know, I, I feel for parents in this situation. You've got no one to lead the way. You've got the school sitting there saying, your child's dumb and there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And you're really just in a jungle trying to cut down a path for someone so that you can get somewhere. I mean, it's a really it's a really difficult situation to be in. Right. It's one of those you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you're going to hurt somebody in this. You know, it, it's either allow your son to be hurt and, and not have any success in life and just you know, just in some ways be a burden and no one cares and he's just, he's dumb or, you know, be a good mom and do the right thing. But then you have two other kids and and you're sacrificing attention and love for them, even though you probably have equal amount of love. It's just, you can't show it as much because your time is so consumed with, with the other child. So that's right. And the eldest one, my eldest one learned so quickly and he was, he was a behavior problem. You know, he drove everyone up the wall, and part of that is because he does think quickly. Right. And the other part is I didn't have the skills to deal with him, and I could have changed things so much more right. now that, you know, with the knowledge that I have now. But you didn't have it then. Yeah. And boys, <sighs> are, boys just, are so competitive too. Yeah. Now, Nicholas is a very quiet boy, yeah. and he wasn't as competitive. So I think you feel you have to give him more to help him survive in this world. Right. But I wished I'd done things differently for my eldest. Uh, you know, that's my that's my pain in my heart. You know, and, but I can't go back and change it. All I can do is love him from where we are. Right. I mean, I could tell you you have definitely have a lot of guilt for some of this stuff. Yeah. But, it, but it's again like you could go back and change it, but then who knows what you change? Uh, you know, that's, somewhere else it's. It, like I yeah. said, you're in a you were in yeah. a bad place regardless, and then of course the information wasn't what it was. You know, we're talking about you're now. talking about '90s, and that's information was that's the internet was just kind of taken off at that point. That's Slowly. right. My husband actually got onto the internet in 1995, and that was the first time he said, "This is the World Wide Web, the WWW," right. and he was looking at things up then in his field. But you know, it, it's a darkness you can't see. You yeah. can't see, and all I could see for Nicholas was how is he going to cope? And you can't see through the next day. Yeah. It, it was a really tough time. Yeah, I really think that's the mental time. health stuff that kicks in where you're, and you, your anxiety and everything kicks in, and, yeah. and you don't really know what's realistic or not. Like some, some of this stuff, yeah. some of it is obviously like unrealistic where you can kind of get to it quickly and go, all right, stop being stupid. But then there's some stuff that kind of shows up where you're like, you know, that kind of makes a lot of sense, even if it's terrible. Yeah. And unproductive. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when you're in school, school has got this rigid idea on what we have to teach kids. Um, and I was able to break free of that and do something that interested Nicholas. Right. And that that really changed his brain. Yeah. That's good. You know, and tapping, and you can start to see this kid's got a seed. We've got to keep watering it and watering it and watering it. You know, and putting him in the right soil, and really, that's what happened to him. That would not, and I'll repeat it again: that would not have happened in the school situation because the kid has to learn to decode, and they've got to do it this way. Right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a you know, like a lawnmower or something that you have to start. And if you just you tr- you pull the little lever, and it doesn't turn on, and you immediately walk away from it and go like, oh, just this doesn't work. It's like no, it yeah. can work. You just got to put a little more yeah. effort into it, a little effort more, it. yeah, a little more force, and, yeah. and, and it may take a couple more wines and and so on. Just keep pulling. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to someone recently, and he said it's the difference between driving a manual car, a, 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 an automatic car. What do you call them here? Yeah, you know, there's the automatic and the stick shift. Stick shift, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there's my you. there's my dyslexia coming in. Come on, and... welcome to America. How long you been here? <laughs> <laughs> and and driving a, an 18-wheeler. Right, yeah. 
you know, you've got to go through more deep gears, you have to have more knowledge, you've got to try more, you've got to practice more before you're going to get to full speed. And that's what it was for Nicholas. Uh, I thought that was an excellent example. Yeah, and as a, as a person who is on the outside of, you know, like people who don't have a disability and or don't have that disability and don't understand it, it's like you just... You have to have compassion and empathy, and you have to. You have to, even if you don't know a whole lot about it, you got to try. And that's right. You know, and again, if you just care, that's like that's half the battle. Yep. If you care and you want to help them, then it doesn't matter what information you have at the moment. You just go from there, and and especially now we're in the age of uh, everything is at your fingertips. So there's no excuse why you couldn't learn a little about whatever the person is in front of you because it's case by case, yep. and um, yeah. You know, it, there's, you know, some of us just need a little extra help, uh, depending yeah. on what it is. And in my case, it was stuff for like making things bigger so I can see it and stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, maybe a little extra time and, and just to, to do the work and all, but you know, once, once I got what I need, I'm good to go. I don't need anybody else. Um, that's right. So. That's exactly right. And you can do it as well as other people. Right. Better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and that's the thing, like your son has somewhat of a learning disability. It doesn't mean he's stupid or anything, but he has some sort of learning disability. But the reality is like every person with a disability has been called slow. You know, I've been called slow. I know everybody I've interviewed has been equated with someone with special needs and there's nothing wrong yeah. with people with special needs, but you automatically equate us with the same people because you know, if, if you might like to get like a, I always say in my case that you have to, like if I'm reading closer to like, I'm looking at my phone to read yeah. it really close. People are like, Oh, he's too slow. He has to look at his phone that close. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm the brightest person in the world, but I'm definitely not slow. It's just, you're insecure and you don't know anything about what people go through and you automatically assume yeah. someone's slow based on whatever, but every person in a wheelchair yeah. or, or any, you know, any, any kind of deformity or anything, someone immediately just looks at them like they're slow. And, and so it's kind of the stereotypical thing to do when you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, you know, it goes back to mindset. I mean, that's on my website. The first thing, you, the free download is a thing that I call MAPS. And that MAPS is an acronym for M is for mindset. The school had made up their mind this kid was dumb. And when you make up your mind that that kid is slow or disabled or whatever label you want to put on it, that's where you end up. Right. And I, when I talk with, in, with teachers and do professional development, I say to them, instead of seeing a learning disabled child, look at that child as a future rocket scientist. Right. And we should be changing the label because it changes the teaching. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at you know, it's something we've talked on here many times before about the term uh, disabled. In, in most yes. instances, it means basically deactivated. doesn't work. Yes. And yes. it's like... And yeah. keep going. No, I know. Yeah, it, was just, it, it just means deactivated because I remember playing right. video games back in the day and one of, you know, some of the missions, I would have to disable an alarm. I never thought about ah. it back then. And then it's like, <laughs> now in hindsight, I have a little more intelligence than I did when I was 15 or whatever. And I'm like... Oh, like you just, yeah. you, you take, you know, disable or disabling, you add a couple letters or take a letter off and yeah. it's like, you know, disable. And then you add a D it's like, Oh, that's what I am. Yeah. I'm disabled. Oh, and then it's like, Oh, this isn't that great. And, and the, the label for Nicholas was specific learning disability. It suggests he cannot learn. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really tough one. I mean, specific is irrelevant, really, because you don't know what it is, nor do they. But it's then into a basket of impossible. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. Disabled, yes. It's a tough label to live with. Yeah. So. I mean, it is what it is. You can make the best of it. But when that is put on you, that's why a lot of people tend to, you know, because one of the former one of the guests I interviewed recently well I haven't put the episode out yet but she um she later in life like I believe it was in her 40s or 50s she um got the label autistic she really she knew something oh, yeah. was wrong but she was you know she's very functional yeah. she's not you know she she's not one of the people that are so far off the spectrum that they you know they need the help but she yeah. she was a smart person but she knew something was wrong with her 
And then yeah. years later, she got told that she was autistic, and she said it was kind of like someone who come out comes out as gay. Because if you tell yeah. everybody you're autistic, they automatically think you're slow. Um, and so, you know, when these when these labels are put on you, even if she is smart, and even though she said people her, her people who knew her in her life didn't treat her any differently, and then all of a sudden she tells she comes out and says I'm autistic, everyone's like, "Oh, are you okay?" And it's like when that stuff is said, like I said, the word disabled, yeah. um, like with yeah. in my case. I, you know, I'm, mm. I'm considered legally blind. Legally blind means I'm under yeah. the limit of being able to drive. So it's yeah. considered legally blind. So that's why I get certain benefits and stuff because I'm, I'm not blind, yeah. but I'm considered legally blind. But when people hear the last word blind, they automatically go but, with, you can't see. Okay. Yeah. So that, so then I don't have a cane and I don't have a dog and I'm not running in the walls. People are confused, but then they still want to still run with the whole blind narrative. And it's like, So that's the stuff that really kind of convolutes and really messes a lot of things up because, like I said, there's people that are just, you know, a lot of us are just innocent. We just want to live our lives and we want people to stay out of our way and stop making our lives harder when it's already hard enough. Um, And, you know, and I'm not a word person, I'm not a person for censorship and a lot of stuff because I think we've gotten to a ridiculous place now in this world. but, um, But there are some of these labels that have stuck and people continue yeah. to think a certain way because, again, yeah. how could people think any different when you think of the word disabled or, or at least, di- you know, disable? It, it, you know, you look it up in a dictionary and then you add a D yeah. to it. It's like, yeah. oh, so, you, so you're broken. It's like, yeah. Oh. That, that, yeah. And I think that's the message that I want to get out, that we want to change this narrative of learning disabled. Right. and disabled and to become abled right. because we can, you know, and that's why you're telling your story. It's why I'm telling my story. Exactly. You know, no, that, that, you know, cause when this, this lady said, you know, he's the worst child ever, I was utterly devastated. But the other thing she did was I left. I didn't say anything cause I don't think quickly. I don't think quickly at all. And I needed time to process it. And after that, I went back to school and I said to her, you can call him whatever you like. You can call him the worst child you've seen in 20 years of teaching, but then don't expect him to learn like everyone else. And that's what put a fire in my belly for me. Right. You know, and from there on in, I changed the teaching. We had so much fun. Well, you know, that was part of the thing in, when we were in Oxford was that learning did become fun, that he was relaxed and he could learn. He could learn when, when you're laughing and doing things. You can't learn when your brain is stressed out. Right. How did That's you, the other com- component we have to get through. Yeah. How, how did you feel, you know, obviously being a mother and, and he finally got his diagnosis. So now you know exactly what's wrong with him. And then all the stuff that you're doing with him and it, it, it's working. Um, like how did that feel emotionally just for you as a, as a parent? I've written a book about it. it well, fair enough. <laughs> Shut up, TJ. <laughs> yeah. It was so powerful because there's a contrast between what would have happened in the school and in the cl- in the school in particular. You've got the label, he can't do it. You've got a reading teacher who's only giving him exactly the same as she gave every other child in her care and blaming him. And it's called the deficit theory in the academic literature. He can't do it. That's why he doesn't learn. Rather than what do I have to do as a teacher to help this child learn to read? Right. And when and I went on to become a reading specialist, and I taught children who failed all reading programs. And in the back of my mind was my son. What else do I have to do to engage this child so that that child will learn to read? It's up to me. Absolutely. It changed my life. I'm you know, sure. So. Changed his as well. Yeah, yeah, and there are other things that happen that were actually written about in the academic literature where the failure is in the teaching, and that's what I've taken away with me continuously. You know, our children think a little bit differently. They don't think the same as everyone else, so we have to acknowledge that, recognize that. Now how are we going to teach it? Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of, you know, yours and his story obviously is, is connected. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's kind of the ultimate story of someone being written off, and yeah. 
you know, and, and it, it's just someone being told that they can't do something and they're not worth the time and, you know, they're whatever. Yeah. They're the bottom of the bottom yeah. and what's the yeah. point? And then, you know, a parent, you're, you, a mother, found a way to change yeah. at least maybe someone's perspective and obviously wrote yeah. a book and, you know, you yeah. give hope to people who, you know, especially parents and, and anybody who's going through yeah. this, uh, you know, yeah. like your son who's going through similar uh, condition or whatever. It's just there's plenty of different learning disabilities out there. And it's like, yeah. you know, it gives hope to people who are just like, oh, you're stupid. Uh, or you you're, yeah. can't do this. And then it's like, oh, I yeah. can. I just need a little extra. Give me what yeah. I need and, and we'll figure it out. And again, there are some people mm-hmm. that are can't function at certain levels and all that. But yeah. that, that that is what that is. And, yeah. you know, we have to take care of them because they're super vulnerable. But, you know, there are people right. like your son that like are just written off just because they're not like every other kid. Right. And, and what I've learned, you know, particularly with this When Learning is Trauma series, is the power and the importance of having children, if we're to teach them to, to, to learn, in a safe and pleasant environment. They're not going to learn if a teacher is shouting at them or they feel unsafe or they know they can't do it. And we are in control of that environment. You know, like you with being legally blind. What are we doing to support you so that you can come to school and say, ah, it's going to be an okay day today yeah, and tomorrow and the next day. Yeah. And, you know, and we're in this culture of bullying and, and, and cyberbullying and all these things. So it's like, you know, we don't want to stick out, but we already do. And so, yeah. you know, yes, yes, we do. Yeah. And that's why it's hard to even ask for things. Like when, in my case, you know, I keep talking about yeah. me because I, I can only use me as a real example, but. Yeah. Um, you know, like for me, I had to, add, I couldn't really see the chalkboard. Now I could, if I sat close to it, but if I did that, I would block all the students from being able to see what mm-hmm. they needed. So usually I would just, the teacher would have a copy or whatever, um, yeah. or I'd have to use certain, there's this thing called a closed circuit TV and, you know, it puts yeah. stuff under and it, it, you know, CCTV and, and it zooms everything in. And a lot of times it would be in the middle or the, somewhere in the classroom. And, you know, it's all, it's this decent sized TV with all this light and color and, you know, I'm yeah. reading a book off of that while, you know, all the students are looking around and I'm just, I'm a complete distraction and, you know, I'm, I'm just there and it's a tension that I don't want because I already know people know I have yeah. an eye problem. It's visible. Um, yeah. and so, but again, I could hide mine more than most, but it's like, yeah. you know, it, it sucks because like I said, we don't really want any attention for it. We, we want the things that are, it, it's kind of complicated too, because we kind of want some extra things, but we don't want the extra attention. Like we yeah. need what we need. We need our, our you know, our utensils or, or whatever it is that makes our lives a little easier. But, you know, we don't want all the other stuff. We don't want the, the judgment and the people to look at us differently. Like, because the reality is we like a lot of the same things you like, or, you know, yeah. we, we're, we're human. It's just, we're different. And you, and you don't want the label, all oh, that blind kid or to be referred to like that. Right. And I mean, there's enough yeah. labels out there, whether it's racially or, sexually or any of these things and it's like, yes and I, but i think the, the disabled label is the one that's lingering the longest because we're, we're making real strides yeah. with yeah. you know all the racial tension and, and and just all the racist stuff and and just all the sexual gender and all these different we're making some real strides with that i mean obviously gay marriage has been legal and you know yeah. obviously there's not black and white water fountains and all these things. we've made some real strides <laughs> We still have ways to go, but we made so many more strides than ever. Whereas I think the disabled community, yes, we've made some strides because now we're not being killed for just because we're whatever freaks or whatever. But we, we're still way too far. As we talked off mic, you know, 75 to 80% of us are unemployed and that that's a problem. That that is a problem. And in this day and age where I can track how long you take to do something, and you're going to be fired if you don't do it within this time range, does not help us at all. You know, that monitoring of time and this and that and the other and everything else that we monitor, I think it's just really damaging for so many people, not right. just the normal. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I know. mean, these are the kind yeah. of conversations that are important and need to be had and people need to hear not because I'm in it or you're in it. It's, it's just simple. Like it's, it's a conversation that need to be had. And I think a lot of people yeah. are afraid to be honest. 
and to say yeah. what they really need and you know, because a lot of people aren't, you know, most, you know, vulnerable. So a lot of us are afraid yeah. to open up to the world, but we need to because, you know, as I said, I talk about mental health a lot because it's something that, you know, pollutes everyone's oh, household. Yes. And, well, yeah. you, you talk about mental health. Uh-huh. I cannot go down the path. What could have happened to my son if we had not had that experience in Oxford? Right. I, I just can't. I, I dare not even think how he would have survived school. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and and the idea that, you know, 25 years later, he has a PhD from wow. one of the top universities in the world. Wow. That's the brain power we're talking about. And he would have been squashed. Yeah. Because he can't do something, because someone's decided he can't learn the way we teach. Right. And that's, and I think, especially like, you know, like cops, teachers, all these people that interact with, you know, people on a daily basis and have real influence on them. Uh, and yeah. you, and you, if you are poor at what you do, yeah. and I, you know, yeah. I, someone, someone and I were having this conversation about a uh, bus driver who is in this town and he's a terrible bus driver because he's left off visually impaired and blind people off the wrong stops and he just doesn't care to pick them up uh-huh. and so on and so on. And it, it, you know, and we were talking about how, you know, it's a guy who probably signed up for the job and wished it paid more, but he's not going, you know, he yeah. wanted 50 grand a year. He's making 30, but he's not going to work for, he's not going to give a $50,000 yeah. effort. He's going to give a $30,000 effort. $30,000 so, effort. Right. So yeah. he's, and so, you know, when you're, a, but it's even more so when you're a cop or a teacher or so on, because you can impact yeah. them so much. And, yeah. you know, this is a reason why a lot of these kids end up shooting up schools and doing all these terrible things oh. because they're not only they're bullied, and they are yeah. looked at as a freak and, and, and just different. Yeah. And then you're yeah. a teacher and you're saying you're the worst. And again, I don't know if your son was there, but again, at some point, I'm sure she said some things and her attitude towards them and certain things, uh, her frustration, it, it, it can impact him to the point where he just yeah. hates himself and just doesn't yeah. want either hurts himself or hurts someone else. And, and this is how you create monsters yeah. when, like I said, these people have such an impact and they're right there, okay. and all you all you have to do is just do some do good by this person, and they will always love and thank yeah. you for it. But when you That's treat right. them like, you know, they're not worth your time, and, and they're the worst yeah. uh, that you've ever seen. Well, they may become something even worse that you never even imagined. Uh, it's not an excuse as far as if, if someone were to do something horribly tragic, but in a way, they have a small excuse because, That's, like I said, yeah. we can't we can't keep mistreating people, especially as children. Because they're so vulnerable and so innocent, and yeah. you know that, that, that's you know. exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, you know, because that's that because Nicholas is a long-term case study. You know, I can look at what happened in grade one, and then when I, as I said in the beginning, you know, when I was speaking to him and he's thirty years old, tell me what happened in grade one, and he cries. You know, there's the trauma's there. We've not dealt with it. It's stuck there. We haven't even thought about it. And then I switched and said, well, let's. Tell me what, what you remember from our time in Oxford. And you get this light switch moment because you've got this kid who's just smiling. He's laughing. And what I remember most about that, this conversation was he said, yes, I, you know, I remember the mapping. The mapping taught me to love learning. But he said, you wrote a poem about a witch's spell. And I remember, I remember we wrote... I wrote the ingredients for that. And then he starts laughing. And, you know, the seven-year-old up bubbles up inside and here he is just roaring with laughter about something that happened over 25 years ago. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's the power we have when we do things right. Yeah. We can, we can traumatize them and bring them to tears or we can have them laughing. That was just so funny, you think. So funny. And it's those sort of things. I didn't even write about that poem in the book mm-hmm. because I didn't think it was important. And it was only after the book was published that I had this conversation with Nicholas. And and I realized, you know, it was far more powerful than I ever gave thought. So when teachers are working, parents and teachers are working with children, what we think we're teaching isn't always what we're teaching. Right. 
and I think I'm, I'm sure you probably ran through this in your head, but if you play out his life five different, you know, five different times, it's probably going to happen. You know, five different things is going to happen. Like there's the good, there's the bad and there's the worst. Like, That's horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, his life could have played out so many different ways. Uh, and yeah. most of them are, he probably, the one he has right now is probably the best and the only good situation he could have gotten into because, you know, everything else looked dark and, you know, dreary. And, and, and the reality is he had the best alternative that happened for him. Um, That's right. And that, Absolutely. And, you know, and of course, if you didn't intervene and you didn't do what a good mom would do, yeah. you know, God knows where he would be. That's right. That's exactly right. And then we had the circumstances on top of us, you know, to be able to travel and to be in that city at that time. Yeah. was phenomenal. And then there was another move, believe it or not, to Lubbock, Texas. And that was the second move that changed his life. Awesome. Living in Lubbock, Texas. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And if you've got a language problem, you've got a problem, what have you got to do? You've got to hear language. And because Lubbock's, you know, hours drive, six right. and seven hours minimum from any other city, right. you listen to books on CD. How do you get better? By listening. Yeah. And like we said before, you're not just repeating. You're just not listening to a story once. Listen to it again and again and again. And every time you pick up something else. Yeah. And, it, you know, so I, I am amazed at his story. And I work with children who struggle with reading now, just like they were my children. That's awesome. What do I have to do to teach them to read? How can we make sure that they enjoy this process? Yeah. And you always make a mistake. How are we going to get around it? How are we going to get over this hump? Yeah. And you're kind of downplaying what you have because this, this ugh, can't even talk uh, dyslex, dyslexia, which I cannot say today. Uh, <laughs> you know, it plagues a lot of people, and it's not that easy to just push to the side and just ignore it and do what you do currently. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's amazing that you overcome yourself and, um, you know, cause again, even what I said earlier about how his life could have played out, the reality is there's a lot of parents wow. that would have gave up on him yeah, and would have listened yeah. to the teacher and just like, Oh, so he's the worst and he's just worthless. It's like, okay, why don't yeah. I just put him in some special ed classes and just, yeah. You know, whatever, however his life turns out, you know, I'm his mom and I'll, I'll be here, but I'm yeah. not going to put in all the work that you did. And it was that, that break in Oxford, that total break that made the difference. That's what, and it was such, you know, such a rare thing to have my husband go away when Nicholas was seven. And because Nicholas is really, he took forever to learn the decoding pieces. Um, uh, but that was a critical time to do it. And if he didn't learn then, it would have ta- he wouldn't have caught up or it's harder to catch up. So or that seven-year age group was just incredible that he had all of this just to pull together. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so I, you know, yeah. It, I just keep pushing the story out that we can teach children to read that we must provide, you know, safe spaces and let them enjoy learning and be part of the process. Right. And you're right, not just shove them aside. Oh, your analogy, though, of five different ways, you're absolutely right. I can't go down there very often because it's too hard. It's too damaging. And you're, I just have to be thankful for what has happened. You're good for my, uh, my psyche because you just say I'm right all the time. <laughs> You are right. You are very good. All right, I, I gotta, I gotta tell my mom she's getting replaced. You, you just you say all the right things. Um, yeah, no, like I said, it's you know, you definitely deserve a lot of credit in your own right because you, you did so much and you were so dedicated to it that, um, you know, like I said, if I was here, I'd give you, if you, I was there, I'd give you a hug because you, you definitely deserve oh, yeah. it. You're uh, definitely an amazing uh, person. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel so privileged the life we've had has led Nicholas to be able to succeed and learning to read should never just belong to the privileged not something as fundamental as reading and writing right and yet for Nicholas it was and I can tell you something else that became really important to me in my story we're in Lubbock Texas and Nicholas has done really well and he goes from 
elementary school to middle school. It was middle school at the time. And he'd said to us, I, I would like to try one advanced placement class or pre-advanced placement class in seventh grade. And we said, okay, you do that. And he would said, I'll do mathematics because I'm good at maths. And on the state test, he'd got uh, 55 out of 56. So he obviously can do it. Yeah. So he's at a brand new school and it's day one, period one, he goes into mathematics. The teacher asked the kids to fill out an index card with their parents' names and addresses in a particular way and da 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 Nicholas couldn't do it. And she tore up his work. She blew into him and you shouldn't be in my class and how do you think you're going to make it in my class if you can't do this simple work and blah, blah, blah. Destroyed him. Absolutely destroyed him. Yeah. And we're, we're back to mindset again. What you think of that child and what they're capable of doing. He can't do this simple stuff. And she wouldn't have recognised that he's stressed. And when you're stressed, the input you take, you cannot take in the information as well. And particularly when you're dealing with writing, whether it's a capital letter or a lowercase or whatever. And it just all went over his head. He lasted one week in that class. Yeah. And I just said, we're not doing this, Nicholas. You're not. It was like he was back in grade one again. We're not doing it. Well, what it comes down to is that everybody has limitations. Just some people are allowed to yep. avoid their in, their limitations much easier. Yep. Some people just yep. have trouble doing certain things. And they're like, well, you yep. know, I'm not really big into tech. So I'm not very, you know, tech, you know, technological savvy. So I yep. don't really buy electronics. So you can avoid that. Yep. So that's your limit. That's yep. one of your limitations. Whereas ours, there's they're way more visible and more noticeable. Yep. Yeah, um, but then what, right. what comes with our limitations, there are some th- amazing things that come from it and that we can do some extraordinary things that the average person couldn't comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he lasted one week with that class and then a few weeks later he ends up doing Texas Tech Robotics and he, it's an after-school program and he came home and he said to me, my robotics teacher is Mrs. Lovering and she wants to know why I'm not in her science, advanced placement science class. And so you have the contrast between the teacher who you can't do this work and, and the, this teacher said, Nicholas, I like the way you think. You should be with me. And she moved heaven and earth and he was in her advanced placement class and he flew. And from there, that was the last problem he had in school. That's great. Um, yeah. So what, what, is, what is the name of your book again? It is Reversed, a memoir, as in reversals. You know, things get reversed in, right. when you read and write. And it's also meaning the reversal in, in a child's life. Yes, of course. Double entendre. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the R is reversed in the book, which is quite fun. But yeah, so that's that's the book, and it's um and people say it's it's a re every educator should read the book. That's the reviews because you're looking at things from a different point of view, you know. And so easily we can slip into the the negative person instead of seeing that child for what they are. Absolutely. When the episode comes out, I'll get a link from you and I'll put it in the description. Yeah, um, I will okay, check it out I'll send myself. You one. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you need to promote? Anything you want? Your Instagram or Facebook or whatever you're into? <laughs> well, uh, the other thing I've been doing is because of my son and the struggle with the long-term trauma, I've done a YouTube channel called When Learning is Trauma. We're into our third season at the moment. Okay. And we are, it's been fascinating because we've had a lot of adults who have talked about learning in school and the one person I talk about is Martin Bloomfield and he was would have been my, like my Nicholas unable to do things in school and he says school was like torture to me pure torture yeah you know and physical punishment and all of that went along with it but he said on one of our episodes he said what's really difficult for me is that what are we modeling 
for the other children in the class when it's okay to condemn that one child. And that has stuck with me. What are we modelling? Are we modelling acceptance? Are we modelling inclusion? Are we teaching the other children this is how we should be working with, with other kids who are slightly different? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, so, sorta, yeah. I will. I'll, I'll. I will definitely subscribe and check check it out later. Um, yeah. Again, I don't know if I'm a good yeah. guest for your show, but if you ever need a guest or anything, please let me know. Um, you need anything, please just message me. Even just forget podcast stuff. You just need someone to talk to. Just please reach out. Um, I think I will. I think you're an awesome trauma person. happens. Trauma happens across a range of issues. Yeah, we got to stick together and support each other. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I think you're a terrific woman. I'm, I'm very glad we did this. Um, like I said, you know, anything you need, just please uh, reach out to me. I will. And so we had Martin Bloomfield. My sister Lenore is a psychiatric nurse, and they sh- we've got a phenomenal banner for her, the conversation with her about when the brain is frozen, when you're in fight or flight mode, how right, you're right. unable to take in any information, mm-hmm. you can't do a thing, and that was Nicholas in first grade. And how the next question you ask is, am I safe? And once you're safe, you can say, yes, I am. But to allow a child to flourish, they've got to be safe and, and, and all the other things to allow them to do what we did with Nicholas. And we had laughter in our lessons. And that's when the brain really starts to work. Yeah. Got to rev it up you a know, little bit. Relax. Yeah. And we got in, in, we're doing a session. We've got May, June. We've got some wonderful people on but in September, October, we're talking to a lady you may or may not know, and it's Mary Helen Imodino Yang, and she talks about emotions are tied to learning. Hmm. No, I know, never heard of her. She is at California Institute of something, and she's done a TED talk. But how powerful that is! And if I want parents. And even me, when I was younger with my young boys, to let them know if you're relaxed, kids, and enjoying children, that's what they will remember. And that is such a powerful component of learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. No, please, thank you again. Um, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you too short. I just, I have to no, go, that's fine. go do that's something perfect. quick. I think we've done really well. Yeah, this was really fun. I think it was just beyond just the story itself it's very informational um I'm, i know a lot of people like i can relate on and definitely in certain aspects of it uh of dealing yeah. with teachers and being written off and uh i know a lot of other people that i've interviewed and people that i know that i haven't interviewed just can have a you know share at least a certain part of that story um and it, it doesn't just impact people with learning disabilities or it impacts a lot of people yeah. um anybody right. looks a little different sounds a little different whatever yeah. They can be written off it just as easy just because someone doesn't have the patience. The color of their skin. Color of their That's skin, right. right, anything. Being a woman, whatever. Yeah. They can be written yeah. off just based on somebody's prejudice or hidden yeah. agendas or whatever it is that makes them tick. Um, and so that's why we need more people like you and, and others that are just trying to make a difference and going above and beyond to make people's lives a little easier. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the gist of it perfect thank you thank you tj and you're right i am new to the site and i'm just getting up and going and trying to sell just one or two more books and get the message out we simply must teach children to read well give me yeah give me uh, i'll I'll check it out this weekend i'll buy a book for you that'd be wonderful all right be wonderful thank you again okay thank you yep okay bye bye All right, guys, that was that was delightful. Um, yeah, that was great. Um, I have to go to the bathroom, take a shower and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, that was great. I, that's just another great conversation. I didn't know where all that was going to go, but it went where it needed to go. Um, sorry for all the noises. I know Bullet interrupted earlier trying to purr. He batted his head against the mic, and it's raining outside. It's also rain all day, so there's cars just going through the parking lot and so on, so. Bunch of noises. I can't really take it out because it's over when she's talking. So, is what it is. Um, I try my best for you guys because I love you. 
and you're appreciated. Thank you again for all your support. I'm sorry that I bat the mic. I'm visually impaired, and I also move around a lot, and I can't help it because I'm a fidgety, fidgety man. Uh, yes. So uh, that might have been my favorite guest because she did nothing but compliment me. So we're going to say that. So ha to all the other guests. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.